Hello and welcome to the Crunchy Take Podcast. The following is a conversation I had with Jay Thompson, who is an abuse and neglect investigator for the Office of the Attorney General. Jay and I met over a year ago, and ever since starting this podcast, I've been looking for a window to have him on. It finally happened, and I'm eager for you guys to hear his thoughts and peek behind the curtain of an incredibly complex career. Given the nature of the subject matter discussed throughout this podcast, I want to make it clear that the thoughts and ideas made in this session are our own and do not represent any organization. With that being said, sit back and relax, and I'll let Jay introduce himself. Um, I am officially an abuse and neglect investigator. Uh, I work for the Office of the Attorney General. The division I work in is the Medicaid Fraud Control Unit. So I work within a unit that is specifically designated to um, seek out and find and prosecute fraud within the Medicaid system. Um, some of the benefits of what, what my unit does is we have the ability to, if someone is a Medicaid provider, we have the, we have the ability to go in and investigate whether it be fraud or abuse and neglect or other crimes that may have happened at that facility. Um, and then take it to whatever, whether it be a assistant U.S. Attorney General or for a federal crime, or you have your local prosecutors that we would take cases to if it's more of a, a local case that we're not you know, tandeming with the FBI or the DEA or Department of Justice or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's... That's such a multi-layered. That that that's how you know. That's that's like a that's a that's a that's a four that's a four tens kind of job right there. So let's let's break it down into segments a little bit. You, the first, let's your your day and what it looks like. So you go in, and you know, because let's let's break down the typical person's uh, idea of what it is you do. Right, because in in the movies or whatnot, the first thing that the guy does is, uh, you know, just give me my coffee and I'll I'll look at my computer screen for a little bit. But no, like, yeah. I mean, that's that's honestly that's probably the beginning of each day for me as I, I sit down and kind of, um, you have cases. I have, you know, any given time. Like right now, I have eleven at one time. Um, sometimes it's been as high depending on how how you know what we're assigned. Mm-hmm. It's been as high as 17. Um, but you come in and you go, okay, well, I, I've taken care of everything I can on this case at this moment, and I'm just waiting on documents to come back to me, or I have an interview with a person involved in this case in a week or three days, and so now I can move on at the moment to another case, right? And so you kind of triage which ones are hot and fresh and kind of needing attention at that moment um, based on longevity or, you know, sensitivity of what potentially happened, that kind of thing. Um, and then you just dive in and pick up where you left off. Hopefully you take good notes because, gotcha. <laughs> you know, you go back and, oh, what did I do two weeks ago? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of that's the beginning of every day. Right. So it sounds like your use of time, basically, from the time you walk in, it's like with so many different elements to take care of. Like you have to be a really good time manager when you get in there. Yeah, it's like yeah. You, and you have to be, a, yeah, not, not only time management, but triaging. Okay, I know that if I have to pour over these 
1400 pages of records mm-hmm. that's going to take me x amount of time so i need to I, I maybe i don't start that now because i have mm-hmm. something at 10 o'clock or whatever you know you just have to be able to yeah understand the importance of each task and how long it's going to take mm-hmm. have you uh, i should say this when did you first what were, were the first inklings that you knew somewhat that you want that this was some this was an area that you could uh progress into because you know that that and the follow-up questions for that would be like you know hobbies and skills that lead to this you know to maybe take a take a step further how'd you start you know like as a kid what were you i mean so well as a kid i mean it was basketball and sports and um no, of course, every 13-year-old thinks he's going to make the NBA. And, <laughs> you know, as a kid from Indiana, basketball is an important mm-hmm. thing. But um, probably my junior or senior year of high school was when I considered, okay, what am I going to do after high school, right? Like, and not just kind of, well, what am I going to do? But really, what am I going to do? Not some pipe dream or, but, you know, so the two options I had were college or um, the military, um, to, and, and the military was at the time. So we're talking pre nine 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated high school in 2000. Um, so at the time, nobody was really enlisting. They were, they were struggling to get people in the military. So the army was offering $20,000 signing bonuses. So mm-hmm. well, you got 10,000 when you started or when you signed and then 10,000 when you finished boot camp. Um, and my thought was, well, shoot, that's 20 grand. I put that in the bank. I do my time in the military and then, you know, like I get out and go to college, but I had an offer for free tuition. Um, and so I decided, and that was late, not late, I would say midsummer. So I just decided, Hey, I think that's what I want to do. And I had already, somebody had just put in my mind, like, um, school that I was going to attend had a really good criminal justice program. And I was like, you know, I, I, I could be a cop. Like, I think that's a cool, that's a, you know, that's a, um, honorable gig. You know what I mean? That's something that you can find positivity in doing. And so, um, I pursued that through college and then that's kind of where it all started. And then once I got into it, I, I, in college, I kind of, realized like, oh, I'm kind of good at this. Like, I like this. This is fascinating to me. I like the problem solving of it. I like those hmm. interact, you know, so that's kind of where it all started. I mean, I can go more. I can take you all the way through. No, that's want, awesome. But... You, you you touched on something a little interesting, something that I only lived for five years of or six about was post or pre 9-11. And when you say hmm. people weren't uh, enlisting for army the army as much and the incentive to give them twenty thousand dollars you said that started in 2000 right well kind of described well, to it was around that time is when they were doing it yeah right the mentality of joining the military okay that's something that's different across different countries as an american can you kind of explain to someone who isn't from here like for me for example why why the sentiment of joining the military is so different compared to just about any other country any other country, Maybe I why, feel like why we value it. Correctly, you know, like what? What are some of the staples as far as like you personally? I, I think, and yeah, yeah. For me personally, I think there's some nostalgia there. Like, mm-hmm. so 
I'm just barely old enough where, you know, my dad was in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandfather wasn't, but that was because of medical issues. Uh, he stuttered. And so they wouldn't let him in the military. Um, but, you know, my grandfather was around during World War II. And so kind of the, the the massive amount of people that were in the military during World War II, there was a there was a, a respect for the military built in by those guys to their kids. Right. And so that's kind of passed down. Um, and honestly, for me, it was a thing of like the way I was raised was very like borrowing money was not a good thing. I don't say this, it was like the worst thing, but it was like, mm-hmm. so I knew I wanted to go to college, but I didn't want to borrow money to do that. Um, and so that was where a lot of my military, like, okay, I guess I can go to the military. I can get $20,000. They offer a GI bill, which is, I don't know if you know this, but it, it, I don't know how long you have to serve, but then you can go to college for free after that. Right. Like, and so that was a huge incentive for me because I'm like, well, hey, then I'm not taking a loan i'm not stuck with that for 30 years where i'm paying off you know instead of eighty thousand dollars for college after the loan you end up paying 115 you know what i mean like yeah that's just um so that was really my attraction to the military was like okay there's there's a signing bonus i know that i'm going when i'm done with the military i'm able to go to college mm-hmm. um but there also is some of that, like military. It's it's a good thing. It's right. you know, like it's held in high prestige, like, you know, and we, yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that you, uh, you know, at the time I was playing basketball in high school, so I was in pretty good shape. Oh, what uh, so, what like, position you play? Handle it. What position you play in high school? I was point, a point guard. guard. I, I a point guard. I tried to be a point guard. <laughs> I tried. Uh, you wouldn't tell it by my body. Man. Oh, no. Come on, man. Point guard. What's <laughs> a point guard or as a point guard? I was an off-the-bench point guard, uh, shortest guy okay. ever to play for my school. So, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. You know, like, basketball, it's a pretty right. good – it's a pretty good barometer for both cardio and, you know, physicality, in, in my in my opinion. You know, it's like right. if you play basketball in high school or if you played it just as a hobby, it's like, okay, I'm in shape. I can run. I can sprint at a moment's notice. So I can I can right. somehow see I, I can understand movement I have you know like right uh, there's there's quick feet that are supposed to be involved if you're decent <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah um, yeah I, yeah absolutely um, so that was kind of my like I'm I'm in shape enough that the military's not you know, boot camp's not going to kill me mm-hmm. like I you know I'm going to get better but it's not going to destroy me what were the standards for um, back then for boot camp like going into basics what were the what were the basic kind of baseline standards like a mile and a half in 12 minutes really uh, maybe 12 13. minutes yeah My, oh yeah. mile and a half mile and a half okay okay yeah yeah so okay what a nine minute mile like you're not it's not hurting you that bad really um because you would think yeah, the average have... viewer probably thinks the you know old army standard mile like you're looking at at least six. Well, but that's the entrance, right? Oh, that's just to get in. Just to, just to get so in. So they're saying your okay. bare minimum is like, okay, for you to even be able to go to boot camp, you've got to be able to do 30 push-ups in a row without stopping, and you've got to be able to yeah. run a mile and a half in X time. Right. And that's the minimum to get in. And then after boot camp, obviously, you've got to, you've got to pass their boot camp. So. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm, I'm familiar with that because uh, – for Thai men, for the most part, if you don't have a disability, you are mm-hmm. you have two options. 
and this is pretty bizarre. I, I, I love telling people about this because either you do ROTC in high school, which is basically military yep. school, right? Part, part time, you go in on the weekend, you go whatever, you go with your schoolmates throughout the right. week, right? And you do that for 20 weeks. 20 weeks is an academy year. You do that three years. And at the end of it, you do boot camp. You know, that's like considered and it considered an academy year. Or you can play the game of fate, as I like to call it, and wait till you're 21. And then what will happen is as when you're 21, they'll uh, call you in the base. They'll do a full physical on you. Uh, it's called the conscription draft. And in Thailand, you know, they'll do an exam on you. They, you know, That'd make sure you're yeah. medically fit or whatnot. And then what they'll do is they'll, it's a very barbaric bizarre practice they'll hold you in place jay i you'd be i if this was a thing in america there'd be cries on the public media every single day oh yeah yeah, i'm sure but what they do is and i don't know if the conditions of it have changed but what they do is they hold you in place right and you put your hand into a bucket okay it's very barbaric but if you pull a black flag you're free to go for life there are two flags in there there's a black flag and a red flag you know, whatever, whatever probability you want to do. You put your hand in there, you draw a black flag, you're free to go for life. And there are two soldiers, you know, holding yeah. you in place. Black flag, free to go for life, red flag. They pretty much shave your head on the spot and they assign you to a sanction of the military. Wow. Yeah. And you're yeah. going to have to serve for two years. Yeah. Serve. Well, I, like, I, it's not completely foreign to me. I, the, the black flag thing is fascinating but really uh i had a college or a college roommate mm-hmm. his name was john wee and i cannot remember where he was from now i mean this is 17 years ago um but he was i want to say i'll have to i'll have to i, I can't remember where he was, was it a southeast asian um, country or was it just yes, like okay okay yes. so somewhere within so the region he okay had, he had spent two years as a medic in the military oh and john was john was one of the smartest people i've ever met in my life hmm. ever Shout i mean john. i even heard of in my life dude he was so other than sports right I never ever heard him be introduced to a topic that he didn't have knowledge on. Really, like it was incredible. So he knew fluently six languages. Six. Um, and I'm yeah, and I'm not talking like <laughs> you know six of the same dialect or what. I'm talking like, six totally you know, different languages: French, German, right? Um, Chinese. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, like it was it was crazy. He might and be Vietnamese. He, say, he might be Vietnamese. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. I, he might have been, um, but then so bachelor's and masters, sure, in two and a half years. That's crazy. Two and a half years. Two and a half and years. Masters. Bachelor's and masters. That's a compression yeah, yeah. of data that you know. So he would take. He would take. Um, I want to say he was taking twenty-two credits a semester at, mm-hmm. at my university, and then he was satellite taking another six at some other university and then he was transferring those in and then he would take a full load during summer school both sessions like it was his daily routine 5 30 in the morning he woke up 5 30 to 6 was shower right 6 until class started at 8 p.m or 8 a.m was studying like he would be in his bunk studying 
he would go to class all day, get out at 5 p.m. He would study. From, he would go to dinner. Um, I want to say 5.45 was when he would be in the library. And 5.45 to 10 p.m. was library study time. He'd come home, go to bed. Like that was, that was his, his day. Yeah. Every single day. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but anyway, so I'm not completely unfamiliar because he spent two years as a medic in the military in right. his home country uh, before he came to college. So that, I'm not that's completely wild. unfamiliar that's with that. Wild. But the black flag thing is crazy. I, that would be such a, that, that moment, that, that angst of that, like dipping my hand in that, oof. Yeah. So, you know, as, as much as I complained about it in, in high school, you know, because as a high school, especially as a basketball player, Saturday mornings, or if you're not sleeping in, that's like the best time to just to go play, especially, you know, playing oh, yeah. at, at our high school. We had a thing called, you know, Saturday morning basketball. You just play, get a group of guys, go to the gym, play against the teachers or team up with the teachers. You know, it's a good moment in mm-hmm. my time to go to military school with my, you know, my Thai uh, classmates was always Saturday morning, Saturday mornings, fall semester. Oh, like to take it's a it's a i don't want to complain because the alternative is so much worse or depending on who you are right because the alternative is you serve that's it at 21 at a pivotal kind of you 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 have opportunity to do many things in life you know if if the military was a choice which it isn't for a lot of people in thailand it's like it's you have your choices whereas in other countries you know like korea uh or um yeah south korea or israel you're serving no matter what Right. Yeah. And well, that's what his was. And I don't remember. Gotcha. He, his was like, this is what you do. It's not a mm-hmm. question. You, every single person does it. Yeah. So all that to say, for me, it's been drilled into my head that the military is, you know, uh, kind of like doing your taxes uh, right. for a guy. Right. Like, you you got to get to it eventually. So as a foreigner, um, as a Asian American, having lived in America for eight years now, I, I kind of understand the sentiment towards uh, the military uh, better as when I did eight years ago, but it's um, it's a cool thing to witness, you know. Yeah. I would say to see the attention towards the military, and on the other hand, see the attention towards the police, and see the police just dwindle down in people's eyes. I, I mean, right. take the last few years, the last year, take the last years out of the equation. It seems like there's such an elevated view of the military. And yet law enforcement is here. Um, right. Do you still feel like it's that way? Do you feel like it's that way at all in, in you know, having your experience? And uh, what you mean like, so, I mean, I think there's an interesting, so social studies slash psychology were my minors. Okay. Um, and so I'm fascinated by some of that social, like how, how are we, as a country getting to the point where these pervasive ideas are being put forth as mm-hmm. the sentiment of the general populace right right and i think there is a lot of people that are are falling prey to false information now i'm not saying that's everywhere but there definitely is if it's not false information it's it's highly skewed Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, sometimes it's well deserved. And you know, there's a there's a phrase that I hear. Um, I'm I'm a little bit of a like 
I don't want to say, I don't know how to say. <laughs> um, I pay attention to people that push back against uh, government intrusion, if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the key, one of the things that people coined phrases that has happened is uh, people talking about the police and they'll see an incident where a police officer maybe does the wrong thing or acts in, a, in an inappropriate way where they're, they're rude or mean or just whatever. And the, the phrase is, well, earning the hate every day. You know, like what's the phrase? I'm sorry. Earning the hate earn, every earning, day. Earning the hate every day. Gotcha. So, I've I've like never officer, personally officer, heard that before. Right. Right. Officer Joe is out here earning the hate every day. Oh. You know, like, okay. So understanding that there is hate towards police in some areas, um, but at at times from certain officers, I don't know that it's deserved, but understood why that happens. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Based on their conduct and the way they treat people and all those things. Um, so the police have a, hard, a tough history in America. I mean, you're talking police really, I got to think about how far we want to go back. But um, as a big organization kind of thing that it is now, what are they, 100 and, 115 years old maybe? I mean, it's not long. They, it's, it's not like they've been around forever. 120 uh, maybe a little more than that, but not not terribly. As far as the massive departments that you have, really controlling it, you know, it started out as a in New York, especially as people just banding together and hiring someone and saying, "Hey, you're going to patrol the streets at night because right. we're tired of people breaking into our breaking shops." Into right, and so then that turns into a police force at some point, and then government kind of taking over and paying the salaries and that kind of thing, rather than the shopkeepers. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the history is just tough because you've got you just long, just right alongside America's history of where yes, there's bigotry and there's there's hatred and there's racism. Well, those same people were firefighters and and police and accountants and within and that's the same reason there's a housing act, right? Like we we have we had racism going on and people so people of color couldn't get um housing so now there's regulations in place that you can't deny housing based on certain aspects and you can't deny selling a house to someone because of certain things um so the police are involved in that same process of america removing itself from racism mm-hmm. um so I mean, it's a that's a long answer to it. Yeah, no, I, I like that Maybe you touched on this. You said it's... no, perfect, because you were you said you were uh, social studies. Uh, you were social studies psychology, right? So you kind of touched a little bit on the history of the police in general. It kind of that's a good way if you think about it. That's a great way to take a step back from today and just kind of view like the how how the structures and the powers that be came to be formed you know like uh how like the fir- the concept of law enforcement right it's not something that's uh as as um as both historian and practitioner as yourself like how how would you go about describing the people you know people that just don't understand you know people that come up with the phrases defund the police for example that that yeah i know exactly right but that brings up a whole 
different gambit of emotions in so many different people, people in the field, specifically because uh, it's often that phrases like that are shared and just so widely, blindly spread um, by people that just don't know the history of law enforcement and people that just don't well, know, you know, the, the world. And I think that, that I think is a big key, what you just said there. I think um, people that really perpetuate those ideas from, from what I've seen. Now, again, mm -hmm. this is just my observation. I don't, but the people that I see that are willing to put forth, A, put forth those ideas and then, ascribe to them or to them right i don't know if that's the right word mm -hmm. um from, from what i've seen they don't have any experience with law enforcement they've never been involved from a good standpoint meaning like had a positive experience and have never had a negative experience they really probably haven't had any experience at all with it mm -hmm. but but if you go speak to people who so I grew up in a rough area here in Indianapolis. Um, really rough area. Um, I wouldn't say it's as bad as some other places in the country, but it's, sure. it's bad enough. Yes. Um, you won't find anyone in that in in that area that will say, "Oh, yeah, defund the police." Like, th there's a reason that the Wild West was. It's a whole era of American history that has its own category because of how chaotic and, and disastrous it was for people's lives. And one of the major reasons it was is because there were no police. There was no law. It was a lawless time where, you know, everybody pushed west and there's no judges. There's no police to tell. Like, like you arrest somebody, where are you going to take them to? There's no jails. There's no... There's no judges to have a court trial, so they just have a gun battle, right? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of atmosphere that happens, the chaos, and there's no police. So it's people that don't consider history, and they take those statements into, into, into play. Um, do I understand the sentiment of, like, there people might be frustrated with police and they want some sort of resolution or change involved. Yeah, absolutely. But like, why are we throwing an atomic bomb on a problem? That's not an atomic bomb problem. You know what I mean? Like that, that you know, I don't know if that is a good way to phrase it, but you know, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. no, you know, no, that's a, I, yeah. I, I like the description of it, but, and maybe to help people understand a little more of, uh, why certain, you know, why, why reaction, why you react a certain way when people say those, those slogans, let's, let's take yeah. a step into your day, for example, you know, there, there's, I, with different occupations, a bad day looks completely different. Right. So right. like there's a spectrum of bad days that can go about a bad day for me right. looks like if a ton of customers are angry at me, uh, there's a line going down, you know, Carmel Street. There are, you know, oh, by the way, <laughs> maybe we had right. a power outage, too. Yeah, uh, right. It's raining. It's super snowy outside. We uh, we don't have enough uh, Diet Coke for any one of our customers. Right. That that to me, like that right. could cause me to be stressed, uh, stressed unbelievably oh and by the way right, five people right. called five people called in uh 
called sick. Right, yeah, and so yeah. Not. Yeah. Quirk. So that's I'm, my I'm, bad I'm day. Retail. I'm good. Absolutely. You I know that retail. life. That's my bad day. Right. What does a bad day for you look like? You know, I, so for me, I, I'm not going to by any means say that I'm a police. I'm not a police officer. I, sure. Let me put that out there. I'm not a cop. Um, I'm, I would not pretend to know. I, I can know from a vantage point of observing what a bad day for someone like that might be. Um, a bad day for me is is very hypothetical. You get yeah. you get flack from an attorney. You get mm-hmm. you know you, you get a, a disagreement with a with a corporation's attorney where I'm trying to get information to to solve a case and and they're you know withholding things or they're trying not to you know cooperate um, or you know again let's say 2,000 pages of medical documents it's like you're just sitting there staring at the screen like oh my goodness when is this over but you got to go through every single detail to make sure that you're not missing something or that you know that's a bad day for me but I think um, the difference is like Oh, you can just talk about life expectancy. Um, mm-hmm. I want to. I, I don't. I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I want to say the life expectancy of a police officer is like fifty-four years old. Fifty-four. Um, it's not. It's high. because of yeah. you're working twelve-hour shifts, working the night shift for the first fifteen years of your career, or whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the, the doctors will say it all the time like the strain on their their bodies and their heart is it, it, their mental strain is just unbelievable you know it's it, that's what kills them yeah. um and their bodies just break down at 55 years old like it just is what it is now i don't know exactly like i said i don't i can't remember exactly what it is but it's young it's not um it's not 70 you know um so yeah i think that you're you're right people's when i when i react to some things that people say, I think it's, it comes from an experience, like my own life experience. Like I grew up in an area where I know what it's like to have your house robbed multiple times. I know what it's like to be, you know, held up on walking down the street from your house. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I know what it's like. And so I do find it interesting that even though most people well, not most, a lot of the people that say, oh, defund the police, defund the police. When a crime is committed against them, in almost instantaneously, they're whipping out their right. phone to call 911. Yeah, they, that's... Right, like, that, the, the, because their ideology doesn't match up with reality. Mm-hmm. The reality is someone is here and, and, and they've never, you know, when, when someone's put in danger, Mm-hmm. You feel the need to, to request assistance. That's where the assistance comes from, is the police and from fire and ambulance. And and so, yes, your ideology can be, I don't like the things that go on. And absolutely, let's talk about it. Let's have that conversation. But you can't then, because of this conversation, go, well, just get rid of this and it's over. Yeah. Like, right. That doesn't make sense, right? And I think probably the big key is defund. Um, they used a bad word. Yeah, <laughs> right. That you lost, you lose your movement when you use a word like that. Because, again, I, I, I tell my kids all the time, words are important. Right? Words matter. What you Correct. say matters. The word defund means something. It doesn't mean, oh, let's scale back. 
that's that's readjust perspective or what mm -hmm. it means get rid of d get fund right get rid of the funding mm -hmm. you can't do that so that's a poor a horrible choice in words because you lose an entire portion of your audience because that word means something you use a better word now we have a conversation that we can have right with you know and there's an entire like you're talking about earlier there's a whole generation of people where military police firefighters they are held in i mean you talk to my dad he's 73 uh if someone's a cop they're instantly a good guy mm. if someone's a if someone was in the military good dude good dude you know whether or not he actually is whether it's just the there so there's a whole generation of americans where they instantly write off anything you have to say when you use the word like defund defund right you've lost you know, you've effectively so. lost their attention you've lost their like um, not only respect, but like the ability yeah, to even have the conversation to begin with, right? It's like, right. You're, it's basically, you're just, you're just, right. it, mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's basic logistics. If you want a problem to be solved, the, the, you know, for example, I, you, my line of work is retail. I won't, I don't think the first problem, I don't think the first reaction is to, Hey, you know what? Let's cut all staff funding by half. And, uh, yeah, the less people working there, the better, right? Like, absolutely. You know, it's. I mean, to battle the corporate monster and everything right. like that. Um, you talked about, you brought up something very interesting. Having grown up in, uh, in a rough neighborhood, you said, um, do you think uh, the average person really knows the true meaning of the word danger? And I know that's, that might be Ooh, a weird question. No, I know no. that might be a weird question. It's because... The, tr the first, for me personally, the first moment I truly uh, realized, and it wasn't even a particularly dangerous moment, but it was the first time, you know, I had just turned 18. Um, and, you know, it was during boot camp, uh, the, last, the last iterations of boot camp, and I heard a bomb go off in the distance. It was just like, hey, this is a simulation. You're going to have to run through this field. And uh, full disclosure, by the way, I'm not in the military anymore. I'm not, a, I, uh, I may look my hair may be a certain You're way. Good. No, I'm, I'm good. But the first time in Thai, they call it antalai, right? Yune antalai, meaning you're in danger. You could potentially okay. be in danger. The first time I ever realized, like, okay, this word has a certain gravity to it that it didn't before, was when I heard a bomb go off. It could have been, Jay, it could have been a cherry bomb. It could have been an actual bomb off in the distance. And then off in the distance, they were also oh. firing Gatling guns to simulate battle. And that was the first time. Now, I'd heard gunfire up until that point before, right? Like, right. you know, I'd fired some myself. But oh, the idea of other people firing it off in the distance and you me have not having any control of it, that was the mm -hmm. first time for me that I, like, yeah, that processed. So I'll tell you, give you an experience and maybe it'll kind of... Hopefully, it'll, it'll answer your question. So I worked... Prior to the job I have now, I worked as a paralegal and multiple other little things at the Marion mm -hmm. County Prosecutor's Office. Um, one of the things I did was I did all, all the audio video presentations for jury trials, court trials, mm -hmm. positions. Um, I had videotape trainings, all kinds of stuff. So 
I was exposed to a lot of different things in that role. Um, but also be just being at the prosecutor's office, you have conversations with, you know, when you're involved in and, and very minimally involved. Let me put that at there as well. I'm, I'm right. very minimally involved. Basically, I'm I'm there as a te- as a tech guy, right? Like I'm not there as like a, as a witness or anything. I'm very minimal, but I, I'm sitting there in the one of the things. Well, anyway, I'll say that in a minute. But um, heinous crimes. I mean, you're talking murder after murder after murder, rob- armed robberies. Um, I don't, I don't know. This is I'm assuming an adult rape. You know, yeah. all, things like this, right? Mm-hmm. So I did that for nine years. Um, mm-hmm. You get numb, right? Like, like when you when when you go through three murder trials in two weeks, and next trial you're going into, you're sitting there, and it's only a carjacking. Like, yeah, like that's right? nuts. Like, right, only a carjacking. So you get you you get numb to mm-hmm. how serious something is, right? And so you, then I would I would always you know go to a relatives' house or you go to a, a party and and people find out what you do and like oh you must have some great stories and I'm like yeah I mean I'm sure. And then you tell them something mm-hmm. really minimal, like oh, I just was dealing with this thing. And they're like, "What?" Like, and I'm like, "That's not right." Like, but but their brain, they're just like, "Oh my goodness!" And mm-hmm. there there was a moment when I left that job to go to my current um, job, and, and like I had to kind of decompress a little bit. For it took me a couple months. Where I was really like, man, like normal people don't talk about these things every day. Like I, I was on a daily basis. You're talking about, you know, how to how to convict this murderer, or how to you know how to take handle this case, or how to, you know, one of the other things I I had the opportunity to do at that job was transcribe. So mm-hmm. I would transcribe uh, police interrogations and depositions where they're asking a witness to recount what they saw or heard or were involved in. And when you do that on a daily basis, you're hearing those stories constantly. Um, it took me a couple months to realize like, oh, the normal people don't, don't do that. And so I had to really, when I got out of that job, like there was a, there was a definite transition period of like, oh, (laughs) like this is not normal. Like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it just is, it was definitely different. Um, so that's the only way I can describe is that people, safety is an illusion. Hmm. Right? I've said that for a long time. Safety is an illusion. You can live, it doesn't matter where you live. If I, but let's say me, criminal, if I decide I'm going to rob your house, nothing you can do about it. You can put up some safety nets to where maybe I'll get caught or maybe I'll get a picture taken of me or whatever, but they're not stopping me from getting in your home if I'm determined to do that, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're just not. And so I think that's where a lot of people, they build up around them. I live in a safe community. I live and, and I live in a good neighborhood. I don't live in a bad neighborhood at all, but randomly throughout the year, um, you'll be on, you'll jump on the neighborhood app or, or um, 
you know, we have a Facebook page for our, our neighborhood and, and, oh, you know, seven cars got broken into over the night. And it was just somebody decided they were going to pick our neighborhood and go through and, and go check through. the yeah. doors. And That's and, happened to right? some of my so, families that live out in the Bay Area. Like, the, right. you know, really, really up, like. Upscale, nice. Upscale. The houses are not, they're not, you know. But Roa, it, it, there was an incident where, you know, my uncle had cars. Um, well, his car was one of many. It's like you said, they went down the block. They must have taken a baseball bat and smashed it. And the crazy part is they didn't take anything. They didn't take anything. These people, uh, it's like you said, safety is an illusion. These people had did it. They broke these, um, the windshields of these cars just for fun. You know? right. and, and I think that's for me, a lot of people live in that world of I'm safe. And they don't ever get exposed because, like, what are the chances, really, if you're not involved in crime? Um, that's another hard part about, like, big cities is, right. yes, there seems to be a lot of crime, but it, it's not often that it's random, right? right? So, like, if you're not involved in the life, you're probably not going to get robbed. Mm-hmm. And if, that's... If you're, not, right. if you're not slinging dope, you're, you're not going to get robbed. Maybe you right the chances but like most people live in that world of like they're okay um so yes they don't ever experience danger Mm -hmm. and yeah i I think that's a big portion of it is people don't understand what real danger is and where that comes from yeah and i think it's important to understand because you guys meaning you either law enforcement or in, in your case abuse and neglect um you guys deal in the business of combating that danger, either combating it or going about the cases of yeah. trying to solve what happened, trying to, you know, delegate justice. And to, I don't know, when, when, when you talked about just either dangerous areas or the kind of lifestyle, the danger that you're exposed to, how, how long did it take before you felt like you were numb to like the shock? Cause I'm imagining your first, your first month, must have been. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, well, so my first, you get introduced to it slowly. So, like, I, I went in as a low level paralegal. I was working, mm-hmm. I was actually a floater. So, basically, my job was to cover for anybody that um, went on vacation for two weeks or went on mm-hmm. or, Like, I would jump in and, t- and take their spot for however long they were gone. Um, so, that was my introduction to the office. And then I moved into, um, way the office did it a long time ago was we had three three people that um let's say a citizen called the police the police came out they said yeah we don't really have anything here we don't have the ability to arrest anyone or you don't have we don't have any evidence that we can whatever uh charge someone with a crime so they leave they give them a police report number and they say hey here's your report number and then have a good day if that citizen feels like I have evidence right here that this person committed a crime against me or whatever, they could come to the prosecutor's office and we would, we would kind of interview them a little bit and say, Oh, well, what do you have? What are the things Mm -hmm. that happened? Tell me what evidence you have. And then we would present that to a prosecutor and say, Hey, this is what they have going on. What do you think? And the prosecutor might say, Oh, we can't charge anybody for this. Or they might say, Oh, we have, you know, there's evidence of this crime, or there may be evidence. Go back to them and see if they have this. Or, you know, so um, we were kind of playing detective at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that was my second 
position within the office. Um, so at that point, then I'm slowly getting introduced to things like domestic violence and mm. um, petty crimes and things like that, and dealing with them on a very real level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I, I did um, I was a DUI paralegal, so I handled all the uh, processing all the case the DUI cases for the county. Mm-hmm. Um, all the misdemeanor DUI cases. And then, so I, you slowly kind of ramp up. Right. Right. But for once I got into the, they asked me, the office asked me to, to begin handling all the presentation stuff. Um, that was really where you get into the big boy real deal. Like, Oh shoot, this, this is a bad thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're spending you're spending time in the courtroom in jury trials, right there with the the victim's family sitting three feet from you while they hear what happened to their family member, you know. And mm. and those, what's that some, like, Jay? You know, I mean, there, there's some moments where you're like, "Holy smokes, this is real!" Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think probably the most angst field moment that I ever. I don't want to say ever was involved in, but there, there's, there's, this happened multiple times. But I can give you the scenario, and you'll understand what I'm saying. So you have the both sides have presented their evidence, mm-hmm. right? And let's say it's a, it's a crime like murder, and you have 30 people in the courtroom that are sitting over on the, in support of the defendant, and you have 30 people in the courtroom that are sitting there, and their loved one had has been killed, mm-hmm. and jury goes out however long and there's a phone call hey we reached the decision so they tell everybody in the courtroom okay they've got a decision so they call the prosecutor and they call the defense and they call the cops and they say and they call the family and they say hey everybody you know we've got a decision the courtroom does that so then everybody gets in the courtroom and waits and there's probably i don't know five or ten minutes while they're getting the jury ready lining up that kind of thing and there's a there's a i'll walk in stand there they sit down it depends on what the judge wants them to do but Mm -hmm. then the judge asks the um judge asks the jury hey who's who's the jury foreman who's the who was elected as the foreman so somebody raised their hand yep i was they say okay do you have a verdict yes we do and they have a piece of paper they have it written down on right and the judge asks the bailiff or the court deputy or whoever would you please go get the verdict from the foreman moments while that deputy walks over grabs that piece of paper goes and hands it to the judge judge kind of unfolds it reads it first obviously because he's going to have to know how to conduct the courtroom after the reading of the verdict Mm -hmm. right those moments where you have 60 people in a courtroom and both half split of one verdict and the other side wants the other verdicts, that tension is just, I mean, <laughs> I don't cry much <laughs> and I have no, nothing invested in some of these, but it just causes you to be so overwhelmed right. with the gravity of what you're dealing with, right? So the first couple of times you deal with that it's heavy on you're like oh man you know you think about it the rest of the day is it quiet yeah 
Oh, I mean, there's a pin drop, right? Mm. Like, the problem is, as soon as the verdict's read, read one side is elated, and the other side is devastated, right? So you have just complete split opposites. Um, and But the first couple times you deal with that, like, you, you take that home at night. Like oh, it's yeah. heavy on your ch- on your chest, you know. Um, but after a while, you just get used to it. Interesting. Um, so, <laughs> just I don't know. I don't know if I described it well enough for it to no. be. That's that know, is something again. Heavy, like that is something most people, you know, taking it back to the subject of danger, taking it back to the reality of this particular process, right? Not something even as what you would consider now, what you or your colleagues now, you having the experience that you have, that you would experience, that you would call mundane, uh, the sheer tension uh, of just like as you said, somebody handing the paper to the judge, right? And how and emotional you know, someone's that life is in those balance, in that balance, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody's life is on that paper. That's you know that I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, that's no. that's yep. that's where the heaviness comes, you know, what I mean? right? The heaviness of is this guy. The killer or not now what is your opinion on uh jurors for example or you know because i have never been i've had friends who've gone in for jury duty but that jury duty in the public eye right for me joe average nobody wants just it. the nobody you know, wants no, it <laughs> well nobody wants it but on top of that it's not often that people get called up so i i would wager to i'd argue that people uh for as much as jury duty is a is a civil slash thing that's expected of those who are called upon, a lot of people still haven't even experienced that. No, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or they get thrown off. Or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that while there there are some people that really struggle with with, I don't want to I don't want to be the judge of someone's life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's two theories of thought. Really, there's probably more theories, but you know, yeah. That if you don't want to do that, if you're not comfortable doing that, you're probably not going to make a, de- a good decision, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to allow your uncomfortableness with judging that person to cloud the facts and the objectivity, evidence, right? You're going to cloud your right, right. So. Do you want that person on your jury? Probably not. Um, but at the same time, it is every citizen's duty to be part of the citizenship, right? If you're going to partake in society, you partake in the heart for stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I mean, humans are... <laughs> Horrible decision makers. I mean, we, psychology will tell you that over and over, you know. Um, so the juror thing is tough. I mean, there's some people that relish it. They think it's interesting and fascinating. And, you know, my wife has yeah. been a juror. Um, I, I was called once. I, I did not get um, I did not get picked probably because of my job. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, like, um, they just didn't pick me. But, um yeah, it's um it's an kind of to process. take a step behind uh what goes into those decisions, right? Abuse and neglect. 
that is your field. That's a field that you right. are have been working. So you said five years. Uh, the current uh, two two years in two years in this job. Um, okay, I was with a, a different section of our our office. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I dealt with um, the licensing aspect of um, um, practitioners, so doctors, nurses, dentists, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I dealt with the so right now I deal with the criminal, mostly the criminal side of of the, the cases. Um, we also have a, a licensing side where where if there's no crime, but there there are standards of every single license in Indiana. There's there's standards that these people have to uphold. It's things like keeping abreast of um, the standards of practice, like what's a good thing, what's not a good thing. Um, you know, don't don't commit, don't be arrested for any crimes. Um, these people's licenses are held to a certain standard of practice. So the licensing division, if there's a violation of that standard of practice, they will take them before the X board that they're under. So if their license is under the medical board, they go to the medical board. If it's the nursing board, it's the nursing board. If it's the board of dentistry, then it's the board of dentistry. Like, and they 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 go to that board and they say this person did X Y Z. You know, we want to charge them with that on their license. Do you mm-hmm. want to put their license on probation? Do you want to revoke their license? Do you want to do nothing? Do you want to? There's all kinds of things that can happen. Um, and actually, sometimes I was talking to one of my coworkers today. It's it's a much bigger hammer, in my opinion, mm-hmm. sometimes than criminal. Like if if you tell a doctor, "Hey, you're going to go on probation for six months," mm-hmm. and you're you know. Like, meaning like criminal probation, you're going to have to report and you're going to have to go to these classes, but you can still be a doctor. Oh, okay. I still get to make whatever he makes, let's say 300,000 a year. But if you tell that doctor, Hey, what you did was not, was not right. And you don't ever get to be a doctor again. Mm. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Cause you're talking about someone who's accustomed to a certain lifestyle. They have potentially massive school bills. And, and and you don't get to be a doctor. That's a heavy hammer. Um, I'm glad I don't wield that hammer because that's not my. But but it's something I think is important that our society has the ability to say you have you have violated, violated interesting practices of your. You know what I mean. This is something we don't. I don't. I have never considered that before. Like the whole the you said licensing and the fact that doctors are held medical medical license right uh, medical license and that license carries such a gravity wherein if they violate uh certain parameters or whatnot they can it can get revoked to the point where they can't even practice anymore right this is not something that most people would consider to be like a criminal charge or a criminal like or treated in the the vein of being criminal it's in tandem a lot of times it's in tandem with a criminal charge so let's say a doctor is um defrauding Medicaid for millions of dollars because he's doing X, Y, Z. So he'll get charged criminally, right? But then on the licensing side, they'll also say, also, we're going to take your license. There are times where, um, I don't know, it's hard. It's not often that someone's license gets taken away and they don't get charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, it's in tandem with a criminal action. With a, well. with a criminal action, right? What are some things that, like, name, name, 
if you could, uh, if you can name some hypotheticals that a doctor does, because we, we as a society and I think worldwide, we have this angelic view of doctors. And it's fascinating to me that you, that this is the first, I feel so stupid for even asking, but like, this is the first I'm ever hearing of a doctor. Like, you know, obvious what you said was, you know, maybe embezzling Medicaid or embezzling funds or whatnot, but criminal charges being uh, thrown at doctors. That's a wild, wild concept, you know, like, and we don't like to think. Yeah, America is currently in the in the throes of a of a pandemic. But if I don't know if you remember, there's an opioid crisis as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you have heard that term or I have. All right. So um, there's some really, really nasty drugs out there. Um, fentanyl. And, yeah. Oh well, yeah, fentanyl and carfentanyl and this 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 is um, only the stuff I I I vague I so vague vaguely know about. But wait, why? Right, carfentanyl is mm-hmm. carfentanyl is crazy. But they're all opioids, right? They're the cousin of heroin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you understand. Like a lot of people don't really realize that they're the they're the cousin of heroin. So and and not even distant cousin, like almost sister brother of heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, hydrocodone, Vicodin. They're the they're the sister, brother, cousin, whatever you want to call it, of heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just a medically controlled version of it. Um, there's some other things that, but it, but it's an opioid. It's from the same yep. concept, right? So they're 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 bad people in every profession. Um, you say just like there's 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 Bad cops out there. There's bad accountants out there. There's bad. There's bad doctors. Bad doctors. Um, there's doctors. Right. There's doctors that literally go, "Oh, I, well, okay, so I can make this off of I this." I can. Well, so it's a little game. So you've got you've got people who are addicted to opioids, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep feeding them opioids, but what I'm going to require the all of these let's say all of these people potentially are on Medicaid. So I'm going to require that every month. Every single one of these people comes in for a visit. Well, that's a hundred next dollars per visit from Medicaid. Right. And I see them, I build it, I build Medicaid for a 45 minute visit. I actually only spend five minutes with this person. And I know they have a opioid problem, but I don't care. I just write them another prescription and I bill Medicaid for the visit. And I have however many hundreds of patients like that in my practice. And every month I just roll through and mm-hmm. now, you know, I'm I'm doing five minute visits. I'm billing for forty five minutes. I'm collecting my money from Medicaid, and I'm going on about my day. And you're leaving wow. all these people to be in the throes of addiction, and you're providing them with, you know, whatever. And and there's some real problems that are run into when, let's say, you stop that doctor from doing that. Well, now you ha- you have all these, let's say, two hundred patients who are massively addicted to these medications and all of a sudden they can't get them so then they turn to heroin well a medication from a doctor is very specific right you have a let's say five by 325 hydrocodone it's a very specific you know i I, to for me to feel good and not feel so right it's just just a small little amount right let's go into addiction just a little bit sure so you start out and you 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 become Let's say you, you get high and you like that high. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, especially with opioids, 
it turns into not taking the opioid to get high, but taking the opioid to not be normal. going through withdrawal, right? right, right. So you, you get high, you go through withdrawal, and then you take some, and, and, and so what happens is you no longer getting high, you're just going through withdrawal. So then you're taking an opioid to then get back to zero. You're never getting above zero. You're not actually getting right, but that's the cycle that they're in, right? So if they're if they're getting medication from a doctor like that, the medication is very specific, and they know exactly what they need to take to feel right. Mm-hmm. Well, when they, when you switch to heroin, when you have a heroin dealer, is it forty percent pure? Is it cut with nothing and it's junk and it's you know you're going to have to take a ton of it to feel good? Is it 60% pure and then you you don't know that and you take a ton of it and you die, right? Mm. Because you didn't know that the heroin was good heroin. Or you didn't know that they laced it with fentanyl and you're going you're gonna to die from that, mm-hmm. um, right? So those, those, those are some of the massive complications that, thank goodness, I don't have to be involved in making those decisions of like, do we shut this doctor down? Do we provide all of his patients we say hey we're shutting this doctor down but here are the many clinics that you could go to to begin to go through rehab so technically when a doctor has someone on a on an opioid they're always supposed to be decreasing right mm-hmm. that's supposed to be on an opioid for 15 years straight on the same medication like it's not providing any help right mm-hmm. they're supposed to be weaning you off of these as they go so if you get them in the right doctor, he's going to be able to hopefully bring these people out of this on a slow bit. You know, anyway, there's a long explanation. No, <laughs> that, that is such a, to me, like I, I've heard different that's, bits that's and pieces of that gonna, before. Right. It's called a pill mill, right? I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever heard that term, but that's called a pill mill. A like pill that mill? Doctor is a, a pill mill. Like, okay. Right. The doctor is a pill mill. Mm-hmm. It's just a mill for all the oh, addicted patients. Okay. Wow. Um, wow. And so we, there's not, we really cracked down on those some years ago, and I don't think there's a whole lot of those left. We get those every now and then, but that would be something that would. That would that's just a hypothetical, my, right? Yeah, that, that's a, that to I you, mean, to me, is an example that I've never even considered before because that's just how little I know about um, right. that sort of criminal activity per se. Now, I hadn't planned on asking you about this, but seeing as, right. as you brought up some addiction or whatnot, what? Are your thoughts on the and this is another slogan that could probably like cause a reaction trigger reaction per se, but Are the war okay? on drugs uh as coined as made popular by long time Ron ago Ron Reagan and before him Harry Onslinger from yeah. the old good old nineteen thirties Billy Holiday case would not um i mean i'm not I'm not a I know. I I, it's, that, I'm I not asking you. It's such a complicated answer because, right. you know, uh, do, do, is it a slogan? So the, you're playing, you're using a slogan to try and like be catchy and and, mm-hmm. and encourage people to do the right thing and get people to follow the like, oh, this is what we need to do, right? It's the rhetorical. War on drugs. Right. But, but I think it, it stems from someone's someone's attempt to rectify a problem, right? Drugs are horrible. Like I'll just—I mean, you can see it all the time. I, I mean, 
Mm-hmm. They just destroy people's lives. It is there's a reason that heroin users call heroin the devil. Mm-hmm. They call they themselves call it the devil. Like there's a reason for that. It's horrible. Um, drugs are horrendous. Is there a spectrum yeah. there as as far as dangerous or uh, horrible drugs? Yeah, that, there is. Would there you put is, weed but, into but the same at the category? Same time, like how do you how do you know whether you're going to be that person that can't Mm-hmm. can't control themselves right how do you know like th- that's the danger of it it's like saying i guess for me and my mentality and i could be wrong i I'm, I'm only 38 so maybe 10 years from now i'll look back on this podcast and think well you were dumb but you know, i'll like, definitely do that for me i'll definitely do that for me so don't don't feel uncomfortable there but, like you know saying is there a spectrum is like saying well if you only jump from 20 feet, you might have a better chance to live. Hmm. So like there's an inherent danger, right? Or like, Oh, if you only shoot yourself with a 22, you're probably not going to die. It's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Like, uh, and so that's the concern that I have with drugs is that it's just such a, such a day it, it's to me it's like shooting yourself like picking which gun you want to shoot yourself with mm. right like how dumb does that sound if i say hey here, here's a gun pick which one you want to shoot yourself with to me there's like that's how i view drugs now again right. I, I, but here pick which thing you might kill yourself with or maybe you'll just not you know what i mean like right. that's kind of how i view it um, it's 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 so, within human nature, you know, because I I know teenagers and the the first gateway thing would probably be weed, right? I mean, the, the, that be like the gateway yeah, thing, and yeah. I I mean, you you've heard that you you know the term gateway drug, and I've I don't know the conventional, especially for people in my generation, the conventional uh, I wouldn't say wisdom, but I'd say uh, verdict is that the weed just That's isn't as bad and it should be legalized. Do I have an opinion on that? Not really. I just, I prefer not to smell it. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not in that. I just think I, why would you go around smelling like skunk? But that at the same time that it does release some people of, it does give some people a certain kind of Uh, freedom. Right. I I think it's a psychological thing. A lot of times it's kind of, it's the same thing alcohol does for people. Someone's Mm -hmm. shy, someone's socially awkward, things like that. Um, They... Get a little drunk, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, hey, I can go talk to that girl. I can. Yeah, you're free can, a little bit. Right? I can have fun with my friends, and I don't have to be anxious, right? I think there's a Just, lot of that. A lot of that involved in weed too. Um, do do I think that it's something that uh, that's such a hard topic? I, I, know, I know. I can't decide on that, and, and because all of it is damaging, like alcohol in excess is horribly damaging. You know what I mean? It, it destroys things in your body, mm-hmm. um, and yet we ignore that. Right? So, but but to say that you're going to inhale something like smoke of some sort, and that it doesn't affect your body is the most insincere, ridiculous thing that anybody's put forth. Now, does that mean that it's the most damaging thing? No. Is it better than cigarettes? Probably not. But is it worse than cigarettes? I don't know. And I mean, and so, and again, and that's where the, the argument lies: is well, we allow cigarettes, so 
Why not? Why, why not allow this other intoxicant? Okay, mm-hmm. I, I see where you're coming from there, but that uh, I, I don't know. I just I just don't know where I land on right. that yet. Um, but you're right. The, yeah. the general verdict of anybody under 25 is weed's no big deal. Right. Especially especially the younger year, you know, like, and I I don't like to. It's it's not like the how do I say this? Like figureheads. Like Snoop Dogg, for example, if it's it's made cool, it's made vain. You, I mean, you grew up in two thousand. Right. You graduated high school in two thousand. You know, gin and juice. Uh, you know, figure oh, out. So, like, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, I not to put them in a bad Wouldn't light, smoke. but I, it's just interesting to see over the course of history that mm-hmm. so it start the same. But we, we as a society, for for the most of us, we draw a hard line between something like weed and uh heroin or crack oh, yeah. or in in indiana's case meth, meth right yeah. like yeah yeah in the vein of addiction um slightly different question slightly in the same related purview do you think porn is relatable Ooh. at all to drugs Ooh. like in your experience wow. knowing the knowing the reality of uh of addiction and seeing what drugs Certain types of drugs do to people, especially with the internet now, the nature of the internet now and how accessible it is. Yeah, what's the comparison there? And is it, as some people put it, the new drug? Uh, that's an interesting topic. Um, it's a vice, right? It's, <laughs> it, it is... Um, and I don't know if it's the new drug, but it definitely is something that people just don't think people don't think twice about anymore, mm. which is sad. And I think that, um, you know, you come from a from a relationship standpoint and the idea that. It destroys relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I can I definitely can see, and I, you know, people used to say this when I was younger, like, oh, you know, old guys would say it. And, you know, I'm 15. I'm like, whatever. Like, that's a bunch of junk. But they'll say something like, oh, it destroys the way you think about your wife. Or it destroys what you think you think your sexual relationship with your wife is supposed to look like. It's absolutely true. Um, it distorts any view, any real idea of what a sexual relationship with the, inside of a marriage is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and so let's say you get married and you, all you've done is experience that from a pornography standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do you, does it take to reprogram your brain and your body's emotional reactions and all those things to what sex is supposed to be and what sex is supposed to feel like or the experience is supposed to be, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's a... Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a tough one, but like for me, especially if you're 25, especially if you're 25 and under, right? You've had, multi- you've had more a grounded experience to the internet uh, and exposure to the internet uh, than the pre or than the previous generation. Yeah. I, I'd say it's a good now. Don't quote me on this. I'm a I'm a moron. But ah, 95 percent or more, ninety five percent or more of men and women have 
or watch porn on a daily basis or have mm. watched porn on a daily basis to the degree that it could like it distorted like you said life, right. like it right like it distorted their view of sex um yeah and I, and I find it interesting the way you were talking about drugs um for me opened a gateway to how we in our generation view porn or yeah. use porn abuse porn you know how, how we go about it i I, th- I feel like there's a you know, there are obviously so many studies to be made. So for, from you said something that's interesting, and I think that um, in some ways you're right, but I think for me the key is accessibility. So mm-hmm. when I was 10, there was the internet. You had now there's the old school like America Online, and you had to dial up. and It would buffer. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. But even at that early, early stage of the internet, there was pornography that was free and accessible. Mm-hmm. It was just nobody. This right here, I don't know if you can see it. This yes. thing mm-hmm. is where your generation has has the difference, because um, mm-hmm. you have complete and unfiltered access in the palm of your hand, mm-hmm. in any nook and cranny of any place in your life that you want. Humans aren't built for that kind of self control. Yeah. Right. God didn't didn't make us <laughs> in a way that withstand that, other than mm. you know, his help. I think that, um, yeah, that's an interesting. Right. Ooh. Well, yeah, I know. But I think to... that's the big key is the the portability and mobility and and mm-hmm. just unfiltered access. It's similar to drugs, obviously, because drugs is also pretty portable. Oh, yeah. It's easy to conceal. Um, some would argue. So take it back to your. Well, but, um, but, but, what's up? Yeah. Go ahead. Go. Ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You're right. Oh, oh, you're right. I was. I was just thinking from a from a pornography standpoint, uh, you can hide that much easier than you can drugs, right? So yes. like, like you you if you've got a you've got a meth problem, it's going to be a year. It'll people be pretty are gonna be able to See it in your mouth yeah. and your face and your you know you got a cocaine problem. You've got it's going to be evident really quick. You can't hide that very long. Mm-hmm. You can hide porn. You can hide the emotional damage that it does mm-hmm. as long as you're not in a relationship. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's interesting. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. I, that just was to kind of segue in off of it. And, to yeah. That was, yeah. Good, good stuff there. To, but to, to segue off of it and maybe take it back to your, uh, your particular occupation, right? You, uh, last week, uh, while we were, getting ready to put this together you said uh you were you hated watching cop shows okay? oh, yeah. um yeah. but then true detective for you was an exception um right. let's maybe take a deep dive a little bit or a, a, a gander at to what the average day looks like when you're trying to tackle a case all right you you know, we've established that you're pretty good at puzzle solving. You've put your time and effort into it, right? Do you ever come across characters, um, you know, because these, these shows, they like to... You, you, what you said was very interesting to me. You said in our conversation that uh, True Detective hit on the emotional toll and the emotional, the human aspect yeah, of solving the, the case. Of it, yeah, mm-hmm. so like the like I'll give you a quick example because we talked about it, like you said. Right. Um, 
so I don't like watching cop shows because or anything involved. It's taking work home because you. none of it's real, right? Mm-hmm. None of it is like like we were talking about. I remember watching CSI like one of one of the two times I've ever watched CSI, and the, the they had an incident where they were on scene. Um, I want to say it was a murder. Or, uh, it was either a murder or a kidnapping, mm-hmm. and <laughs> the detective went back to his car, and they were like, "Oh, we found this hair." Well, first of all, no. Never know. <laughs> like he just was like walking down. We found the this hair. Sidewalk, picks it up and, oh, out of the glove. Look at that. I guarantee you this is you know like. Not only did that happen, which is mm-hmm. like no, but then he's like, "Let me get my DNA tester," and he whips out <laughs> this like old Palm Pilot looking thing that like he like places it on, and it's like do 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 do. Where's that come like, from? Oh, perfect match. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> No, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, <laughs> just yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of why I don't like watching them because it's just there's nothing realistic about it. And I was telling you too. One of the things that prosecutors always said in opening statements in a jury trial, almost like I I can't tell you how many times I've heard it, and and they I can't say they always do it, but when I was working there, it was something that was very common. Was they told the jury. This is not CSI. This is not NCIS. This is not all the shows you've seen. This is not it. Do not expect the things that you see. Those things are not real. They don't happen in a half hour time frame. You know, this crime happened a year and a half ago. We got DNA evidence six months. Six months later. Right. If that. Right. Or a year later or whatever it is. Right. So. That's something that was always instructed to the jury was like, this is not TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had a hard time watching it. But a True Detective for me, um, I liked it because it was real in the sense that those cops were screwed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that one guy had real, uh, he was a womanizer, right? And he had, he had real life problems. And um, it wasn't like, oh, he comes home to the perfect you know, ideal, right? They're not. He's not a robot. Like, like he, he. I don't remember some of their backstory, but like you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, I talked to people that one of my coworkers was a former. She's an incredible person. Um, she was a deputy coroner. She was a, a, a mm-hmm. paramedic. She worked in an ER. She she's done all kinds of stuff. She's an incredible person. Um, and lived her whole life serving people. And if you hear her story of how she grew up, like, yeah, you're going to be screwed up a little bit because the, the, your upbringing was horrendous and you're going to have problems. But does that mean you're not a good paramedic? No. Does that mean that you're insensitive to your patients? No. Now, you're, you're a little rough around the edges sometimes, right? But that's the reality of, um, maybe, maybe as a paramedic, yeah, okay, maybe she was rude. I don't know if she was. I'm not saying she was. I'm saying let's pretend mm-hmm. that you you call somebody out and the paramedic's rude. Well, did you ask the did you ask the paramedic if their spouse left them the day before? Mm-hmm. Did you ask them if they their mom died two days before that? 
right? Like that's, and I'm not accusing people of like, oh, you know, but I do, I do feel that people are expected to be robots and shut everything out. And, and not every, not every human can do that. Right. Um, so that's why I like True Detective because they, they struggled with real life in the throes of their job. Mm-hmm. And that was really why I like that show. Because why, it was real in the sense that, well, mm-hmm. these are real people. Yeah. Well, I think it anyway, I don't know. Uh, solves, well, it doesn't give anybody, I feel, the full, it, the full picture of what it is to do that kind of, do that line of work. But uh-huh. the human aspect of it, that's why I have a hard time critiquing it. Uh, you know, from a. Second from season a, was horrible. Come I on. know. Uh, no, no, I, I didn't see it. I've only seen the first and third, as most of yeah, most of the, the people have told don't, me. Don't worry, you, you saw the, you saw the <laughs> other ones. That were good. But the thing was, um, you know, these characters, uh, we, I think we have this innate thing when we watch movies. You know, I, I was a film student. I, movies are my thing, you know, and I, watching right. movies, you want characters to be consistent. Humans are not consistent characters. You know, in, in, in the third season, especially Mahershala's, Mahershala Ali's character, like, I thought I had issues with his character throughout the season. Like, why is he acting irrationally like that? Wait, wait a second. Like, well, not to give the show too much credit, not to give the writers right. too much credit, but that's how people are, you know, and that's yeah. Yeah. your day to day when you're analyzing, when you're analyzing slash speculating, surround, immersing yourself in these kinds of um, cases where you deal with the depravity of human nature, like absolute pitfalls, depravity of new human nature. Mm-hmm. It's like that can take such an emotional toll. So for oh, yeah. someone like you who, who deals with these on a day-to-day basis, like what? There's an art to leaving it at the door, right? Because with yeah. these cop shows, the, what, some of the sources, one of the bigger sources of tension in drama is that when they come home, a lot of them are unable to leave it at the door in such a way that the spouse will detect and ask, you know, hey, what's going on? And that right there is, I can, I can only imagine to be super complex, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's things you develop, like mm-hmm. um, you develop a closet, right? So you like lock things in the closet, mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't. We don't ever bring that up again. We don't think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying I necessarily do that a lot. My 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 closet's very bare. Um, there are some people that, you know, they were on the street for 22 years. The guy, guys that I work with, you know, they were they were with IMPD on the street for 22 years. They never were a detective. They were in the throes of it every single day mm-hmm. for that long. Um, and the closet is packed full, right? You know, with bad things that happen to children, uh, with just crazy situations, and mm-hmm. and so my closet is nothing. My closet is nothing compared to somebody who was on the street and was a police officer, and I was never that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing you tend to develop is a very—it's just a—it's just a human reaction. Like you develop a, a warped sense of humor. <laughs> like right, you're right. able no to i understand you work retail i work like, retail you know it's it's you you develop like a you know 
I can only yeah. imagine oh, yeah. the, the yeah. varying degrees that 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 so, like yeah the, this... the horrible things you think about humanity from a retail standpoint. Oh my gosh, it's like... nothing compared to what <laughs> it's nothing. We we all know the customer that wants to return the product that they didn't buy it. Your not even your store. Your company yeah. doesn't even sell it. Yeah, not to draw the parallel to customer service all the time, but I feel like that's a relatable for the most part. People understand, that, you know. But uh, yeah, you're dealing with humanity. Like mm-hmm. you're dealing with the yeah, yeah, depravity of man. <laughs> <laughs> the depravity of man at a at a grocery store pickup location. Um, <laughs> um, so one of one of the questions that people have asked, like. I started um, doing some research for for this conversation, and at what point, uh, you know, because these shows, I hate to always parallel it to shows, but this is how people are are exposed to this right. kind of work for you. I mean, you know, uh, be it murder case or abusive neglect or what, um, whatever the case. Like how oftentimes in these shows, they'll just be loose ends, and the case will just end. And one of the questions we asked amongst ourselves as viewers all the time is what determines whether a case gets shut down or closed? Because we've seen in these shows uh, examples of somehow sometimes they'll do the cop out and they'll just pin the blame on one person and just leave it at that. How often does that happen? Like percentage wise, do you think? uh, I mean, for me, one thing that I had to learn, and this was I remember this specifically from college was, you know, we're in an investigations class and the professor pre- presents the evidence that he was able to collect. Mm-hmm. He presents the um, interviews that he did of different witnesses slash suspects. And then he says, okay, what do we do? Where do we go? And the entire purpose of the, of the exercise was to realize that a good investigation doesn't always come out with a solution. Mm-hmm. Right? You you follow every trail, you follow every lead, and there's times where every single one of those comes to a dead end. Mm-hmm. And you go, I can't prove it. I can't prove that X thing happened and this person did this. I might be able to prove that they were there. I might be able to prove that they were in the room. Mm-hmm. I can't prove, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, there's, there's many times where it's just like, yeah, we know something, like, we know something happened, right? but we can't a prove who did it because there's a beyond a reasonable doubt is, and I don't know if you know what I mean by that. So in criminal cases, in America, you have to prove that the defendant did whatever you're accusing them. Beyond reasonable of. doubt. Right. Beyond, not beyond a reasonable doubt. Not all reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. But beyond reasonable doubt. So the hard part about that is that is ambiguous. Okay? Right. That means something different to you than it does to me. Can, what can can we put a percentage on it? No one's ever no no legal court has yet to say it is this percentage of mm. um, like we're we're ninety percent sure he did it or she did it right. No court's ever done that. It's mm. just beyond a reasonable doubt. 
So if you can't, if you and your investigation go, I can't prove that. I can't even get close to that. I can get that, yeah, they probably did it. Um, it probably is nowhere near beyond reasonable doubt. So if you're at probably, you close your case. No, I don't want to say, mm. I shouldn't say that. That's wrong. <laughs> if you're at probably and you have nothing else you can you can do to investigate more, you're done. Right? Now that doesn't mean you're saying, that's the other thing, is it's hard because I'm not saying that that person didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I can't prove it in court. That's two different things. And I said this for a long time when I was at the prosecutor's office. Court is not real life. Hmm. Not real life at all. And so um, I feel like I'm talking about it. My no, no. This is <laughs> Keep going, my man. This is gold. This is court what we is, came here court for. Court is not real life, right? Mm-hmm. So what did you say? This is what we came here um, for. <laughs> so I'm so honored right, to have you right, on, man. Right. Oh, don't. <laughs> Um, it's not real life. So mm-hmm. what happens in a courtroom doesn't mean that we really know or it doesn't correlate really to real life. For instance, mm-hmm. um, did o- was OJ involved in those murders? I mean, That's the first the case I thought about. Most, oh. most of the world is yeah, right? That's wow. the consensus of most mm-hmm. of the world. But he never got convicted of it. Right? I don't know if you remember. You, you've been here eight years, right? Yeah, Yeah, I've been here eight, yeah, eight years. Eight years. But the OJ what's case your, is, is so famous. Knowledge? It's so oh, yeah, famous. Yeah, yeah. The whole gloves. What's your knowledge of... What's your knowledge of... Um, so there was a girl in Florida. It was Casey Anthony. Um, yes. The name, the, na- the, name, the name and case are familiar. Eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so consensus is she knows what happened to that baby. Yeah, can't get convicted of it. It's not real life. In real life, you can take multiple um, points of information, right? So, let's say in real life, you know that your your uncle or your aunt, let's say your aunt. Has been convicted six times of stealing from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And one time it wasn't the grocery store, one time it was a bank. And but she's not in jail right now, right? And so everybody comes over for Christmas dinner, everybody's having a good time. Um you notice that Aunt Linda is is in, in the bathroom for a while, right? And then you don't think anything of it, right? And then later, you know, the evening ends, everybody comes mm-hmm. home. You go in your room to, to go to bed and you look at your dresser and you're like, where's my $100 at? Mm. Right? Your thought's going to be, well, she was gone for a little bit. I didn't know where she was. She likes to steal. I bet Aunt Linda took it, Right? That's real life. That's the decisions that people make in real life. Mm-hmm. But you can't make that assumption in court. Right. Right? And so that's what I mean by real life is we make we use all kinds of information to, to make a decision. Mm-hmm. In court, you're not allowed to consider that she's been arrested six times for that. You can't ever consider that. 
Huh. Like the judge will never let you be as a jury. You're never ever allowed to be told that. So your history isn't isn't put against you, basically in no, court. No, not at oh, all. Wow. It is if you're convicted. So if you're convicted of the current crime, right? Uh, but if then you're a the suspect, say, then it this isn't. is your seventh time. Gotcha. Right? You're going to jail for a long time, or whatever he wants to say. Mm-hmm. So in the sentencing, the judge can use that. But on a typical on a typical scale, or not scale, that's the wrong word. In a, in a typical case. You can't use someone's history against them. Wow. And this is something people don't know about. Like, not, yeah, not many people know. Not yet. So it's not real life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that frustrate yeah. you in any way? Yeah. Like, that has to frustrate you with good cases. Um, or not just cases. You know, it, it, that's the... That's the dramatic point of these shows. You know, when they, when they depict, like, when a case has been dropped. Like, oh, but I still know he's out there. How realistic is that? That a... Uh, detective or some of you, someone of your stature, will still pursue that lead, even though Ooh. like the case has been dropped. Like, and how <sighs> is that tolerated like the, in any way, like shape, the, or form? Are you talking about like the rogue cop kind of thing, like something yeah, like I, that, I, I, or where they like they detect, they have these small little inklings, like superstition nah. that something's going on, and then it actually leads to something. Or <sighs> sometimes that happens, and and you know you you lean on your years of experience, right? So you lean yeah. on on whether things make sense. Um, you know, in a, in a, you just lean on your experience of when somebody's telling you, oh no, I didn't do this, I did this, or I wasn't here, I was here, and you're like, what? That just mm-hmm. doesn't, and sometimes it's, sometimes they're telling the truth, that's the, that's the hard part. And then other times when you, when you go, wait a minute, what? And you begin to look deeper, you're like, no, you weren't. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and their story falls apart real quickly. Mm-hmm. So your hunch caused you to continue to look a little further, which proved true. Sometimes you look further and you're like, well, maybe he actually was there. You know what I mean? Or she was there or whatever. So as you use, a, I, I mean, I use hunches. All, I don't want to say hunches. That's not a bad, uh, that's a bad term, but more like intuition mm-hmm. um, that I, I need to keep digging. This right. this story doesn't add up, right? I, mm-hmm. Like, I don't. This doesn't make sense. Um, and then you go talk to other people, and you go come collect more evidence, and you go do your thing. Yeah. Um, but the rogue cop thing of like, oh, I know this guy's still out there, and I've got to get him. Like, personally, I think when you, when you make it personal, um, you're losing perspective, right? Right, and so. But but can I say that that's never happened? I don't know. Mm. Um, I, the 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 detectives that the, there's a detective I work with currently. Well, he's not. He's a technically an investigator with our office, but he was a homicide detective for 17 years. Um, he, he, yeah, like he's one. He I I can't tell you how much I respect him. But anyway. Um, Like, I feel like you lose perspective if you let it get personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you make mistakes. Which, you do things that when you get when you get emotional about it, then right, you're going to do things like um, you're going to get, potentially get physical with someone in an interview. You're gonna you know you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna you're gonna do things the wrong way, and so you have to remain neutral in that sense. Um, 
while at the same time wanting to provide some sort of justice or or mm -hmm. that kind of thing for the victim right um the, mm -hmm. it's hard it's hard but yeah i the road cop thing is that's very much hollywood gotcha it must be tough to determine as far as like oh like um given the amount of sheer amount which by the way like how many is are there are there um is there a set number or is there a certain amount of either cases or things that you can be investigating that is there a limit that they put on you as to how many how many can you work at once in, in, in at least for someone in your position i mean not that i know of um you obviously don't want to overwhelm someone but right. at the same time it, it's just a matter of how many cases are brought to our attention right um, you know right, we right. we are required to investigate or to look into everything that comes to our office so um you know you 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 do a cursory look and you figure out the, the first initial things that you, you need to pull evidence, mm -hmm. evidentiary like documentation and things like that. Um, and then you, sometimes you decide, okay, I can, this kind of case, whatever the case may be, let's say potentially the person's already deceased. Um, okay, so I, I have the time to wait the 30 days that it's gonna take for this facility to get me my documentation. In the meantime, I can go do other things, right? So, um, but I, I, as far as I know, I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm not a supervisor and I don't, I'm not an administration, but mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that I have a case limit. But I mean, realistically, I've got a case limit. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> at yeah. Some point, at some it's point, just, you're overwhelmed and, right. you know, it's um, just because these shows, I, they kind of glorify the one, you know, or mm, the big one, you know, the big cult, yeah. whatever, or not even just beyond true detective in general it's like yeah. oh we only focus on one where i'm like you know it's probably oh, like no. school or college whenever you look at a college kid oh you only got to worry about your major right no i mean you got your general ed classes you got right you got so well, many different things going what, on six courses at the same time so you're doing you're bouncing from one to the other in the midst mm -hmm. of a single day um no you're not focusing on one i you know um you know the homicide detectives that I worked with, you know, they were, they worked a shift, you know, they, they worked every, you know, all their shifts all week. So yeah, you're interviewing people for the murder that you caught. What? Four or five days ago. Mm -hmm. If you're all, if you're next up online and, and there's been six murders since then, well, guess who's up? You, you. you got another one. Right. You know, so, so you gotta be able to manage that. And, and, mm -hmm um they all obviously helped each other out and they were it was like a team but mm -hmm. yeah i mean you're doing multiple those guys were doing multiple murders at a time you know they're doing they're going from one interview on one murder to a completely separate murder and interviewing somebody on that you know it, it was um i'm sure it was chaotic for them i, I they didn't sleep much i know that yeah. um the guy that i work with um talks about many times being you know i think his longest was like a little over 72 hours oh man uh, straight you know mm. um and it's just because that's the nature of the, of the business right um you know you get you got to get things done while it's hot and fresh and mm -hmm. um so i um you know he would he um, he'd be 72 hours at work right so yeah. you're talking you catch a you catch a 15 minute nap in between 
that's whatever else is going on but you're not you're not sleeping for 72 hours Mm -hmm. so So, right so in like the minutia of it um the whole it's a good word by the way i love that word (laughs) yeah like uh because the main theme uh kind of uniting everything together is solving a case right I, I think I wrote a I, I wrote a super generic question down here. I don't know if it's out of place or not, but what are the most crucial elements of solving a case? Like, what do you personally, uh, I know, what do you personally have to establish? And that can be something as fundamental as, hey, I have to distance myself emotionally from this, or it can be something, mm-hmm. you know, like case-specific, case-specifics are always going to happen, right? But what are, A, what are the things that you've been taught versus what do you actually practice when it comes to solving cases like these? Very hypothetical. Very hypothetical. Hypothetical as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's break it down a little bit. So, from a logistical standpoint, you have to have a crime or some said thing that you think happened, right? You have to establish that, Mm -hmm. and then you kind of have established like who, what, where, when, how, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can prove those things or most of those things. You usually have a, a case, um, but sometimes you get through, and it, with my job, you get through an entire investigation, and you look at it, and you go, I don't think there was a crime here. Hmm. Maybe somebody did something they shouldn't have done, mm-hmm. but it doesn't rise to the level of crime, right? And that's where... Um, I still, it's hard to feel this way, but you still solved your case. May not have been the outcome you wanted or, or mm-hmm. the, the, the victim wanted. And I only put victim in air quotes because if we don't have a crime, we, it's a right, different, right. you know, do you call him a victim? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but something happened to somebody. Something happened. Was it criminal or not? Is it something that this person could... Um, a civil lawsuit and right. recoup money, right? Um, that there's many times where that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the biggest key for me with an investigation is okay, what do we have? What do we have a crime? Right. If we think we do, or if we think we might, how do we go about proving that who did that? Mm-hmm. Or how many people did that? That's a basic answer, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a no, tough question. That's great. That's great because, like, most people tend to jump. Like, most people, when I say most people, you can always chalk that to me. Okay. Like, I am most people <laughs> in this regard when I'm thinking of, oh, crime. Oh, there okay. must be a crime. That's a good point that you're raising that it's not immediately a crime. Sometimes it's uh, XYZ. It's not immediately crime. Hey, you may have you solved it. It may not have been the result you wanted. That right there to me is interesting because you as um you as an investigator, you you've been. Uh, would you say that even after all this time, you still do you still want things to happen, or is it more like do you still take like when I say want, you obviously want what is right, right? You want justice to be found, and you want whichever party that was wrong to be to, yeah. to have some rect to be rectified in a, in a certain way but yeah. 
would you say even after all this time, there's still like you still have to fight it. You still have to mentally train and tell yourself that this, like, I have to do what is objectively right here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and it's easy sometimes because you feel like as a as a investigator or when I was with the prosecutor's office, mm -hmm. when you're involved in trying a case, um, even to the little extent that I was, um, I feel like you're on the side of right. Mm. right. Like I'm fighting for somebody, let's say, who is the victim of a robbery. I'm not fighting for someone who like I'm on the side of right. I'm trying to I'm trying to obtain justice for some thing that happened to this person. So there's an I think as a human, there's an inherent like I want things to uh, rectified is a very good word. Um I want things to be right. And if the wrong can be righted in some small way, you want that. Um but yes, you're right. I, I think you have to you have to monitor yourself and go okay am i am i i would say there was one time one time in my career um and it was with the prosecutor's office and i wasn't involving me i just mm -hmm. I had a very small piece to do with this case but um from my perspective it appeared that the that the detective Was... wanted so badly to to have a resolution mm. that he was ignoring signs that the person that he was after may not have done it. Gotcha. And that does happen. And I don't mean like glaring. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Uh, it's not glaring, but it is glaring, there. It is, like, it is like an aspect of uh, the investigation. And, you know, right. Right. and I'm, I'm, again, I'm not saying he was intentionally. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't saying mm -hmm. I don't think he was intentionally doing that. I think that he wanted so badly to take care of the, the, the situation that, that he might have. So uh, it's, I don't want to say too much, but like, um, I'll, I'll explain why I'm saying I don't want to say too much. In just no, you're good. But, you're fine. Um, Completely understandable. He, there was completely and absolutely evidence to go alongside of what he was saying he thought happened right there was 100 percent evidence for that but there was also this other stuff that it was like eh, but maybe right maybe that didn't happen that way mm -hmm. right? and so he was so locked in on this is what happened that he kind of didn't assess this other stuff gotcha and um we at the prosecutor's office not we, not me, the prosecutor that was involved right. in it. Um, I had a very tiny helping hand. Um, she ended up dismissing the case. Mm, right. Like, we're done. Because once you get into it, you go, eh, I don't know if we can prove that because there's these other things right. here that are going to, you're not going to win that case. And that when does happen uh, fairly, fairly often, right, oh, yeah. as far as, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and and you know I worked in there for almost ten years. It was nine mm -hmm. plus. Um, I never once knew of a prosecutor that would go out of their way that, to just to, to right. Not even out of their way that, but just like 
oh yeah, we're going to hammer this home and I don't care if we're right or wrong or we're going to mm. get this person. No. Probably a good no, thing, not, right, Jay? not the way it was. That's probably to your... Right. And, uh, and, and one of the things that was constantly talked about was um, prosecutors in Indiana, at least, they have a duty to not pursue cases that they don't think are correct. Mm. In their in their license as an attorney, right. Going back so, to the t- thing of licenses, because that can actually be revoked right. as well, right? You that that you know mm-hmm. the same thing that we were talking about doctors that can that can also happen to you. The idea of a license, I think, to me right. and uh, most people listening, it's like oh, like we don't take the term license seriously enough. Whereas to you, it's oh. like it, that's the, the literal keys to wielding the hammer as you would say right and that and yeah, that that yeah. they're in it of what yeah. you're making it sound like what you're saying what it sounds like you're saying is there's such a responsibility to there's such a thing to uphold right it's not taken lightly at all and you know these these kind of emotional uh depictions uh, of your work like while they hit at the human aspect like um there, you, you gotta you have to take the whole like rogue cop thing with a super duper grain of salt all right as well yeah like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. A, yeah as in most cases because you know hollywood they have to play it up to for you to pay attention oh, yeah. otherwise One of my favorite things to watch right mm-hmm. now um not trying to cut you off no perfect perfect i was gonna segue so, into unwinding but... unwinding <laughs> it's all good so one of my one of my favorite things to watch right now on youtube um there's quite a few channels that are bringing in experts in whatever field to mm-hmm. review movies so right, say, right, well, the GQ these, series these, or whatnot. Yeah, well, GQ yeah. does it. And I think um, I gotta think what the other channel is that does it. Wired, um, uh, Wired also does it. They Wired, have this yeah, yeah, yeah. guy who's an yeah. accent expert. He does. He breaks down movies. Yeah, uh, he's cool. Now, there's one guy, um, Jocko uh, Willner. He'll break down like name. army movies. Yep, yep. Um, there's a sniper. Oh, um, he was a, he was an army ranger sniper, and he broke down sniper movies and right. it is fascinating mm-hmm. to see him be like oh no you would never do that because this, this would you this. ever do I'm that like wow what break it down no i'm not if if asked no 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 well if asked oh, no. in general you you would you wouldn't do it no, no. i'm not <laughs> experienced enough for that there's i could give you 50 names that are way more experienced than me and you know this would, mm-hmm. would have way more credibility than i would Oh, I don't God, have yeah. any. Right. <laughs> no. Okay. So, um, but I just, I enjoy watching that. You know, it'll be yeah. uh, former mob boss. Mm-hmm. Um, former mob boss. It's really cool. Uh, it's, it's, I, I know these series of videos like, that you're talking about. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So, George St. Pierre breaking down like that. martial arts movies, you know? Yeah. Or like there was one I just watched actually was, um, a uh japanese uh katana um right oh i love you uh, do you watch if you watch right if you watch that do you watch um forged in fire at all it's a complete dad show i knew oh, it i, yeah, I knew yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me yeah. and my guys you know we come I, home from no, a day no. of work yeah yeah yes. yeah it's such a dad I'm show not watching it on like a daily, i've seen it yeah mm-hmm. but you know it's like the dad version of the british baking yeah, show it. it's just like whoa is he gonna make oh that sword broke yep. <laughs> you know can this cut through a body? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just um. See you with your uh, Golden State Warriors polo. Ah, so yeah, you you mentioned you were a basketball guy. Hey man, we we've had our stride. 
my family uh, god bless they just landed in the bay area today uh they came up to take their shot i haven't seen them in four years it's just like hey you know what that's awesome yeah and the warriors they're playing die i haven't checked the score at all but yeah what are some of the ways um two things the two things as we're unwinding here as we're as we're coming to a close how do you use these skills outside the office you know whether it's watching sports or you know in your daily know. family life or just well, my kids will tell you that i'm a pain really <laughs> how so because <laughs> they can't get away with anything no i'm just kidding um I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Man. Oh no, no, no! How so? Like how? Like uh, the the question is: How do you use these skills that you these analytical slash, um, yeah? Let, shall we call it investigator skills? Right? How how do you find it to be right. useful outside of work, and how do you find it also to be a detriment outside of work? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good question. So like, I, I think it can be a detriment. You know, I was talking to somebody at work the other day that, um. I think I've seen a lot of attorneys struggle to not be an attorney in their relationship with their, with their spouse. Mm. So like, you know, as an attorney, you're, you are, um, taught to analyze every single word that someone uses and, and, and manipulate those words if you need to, or uh, not manipulate, but you know what I mean? Yes. Um, yes. And, I think that that is a horrible way to deal with with a spouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine having someone that did that to me. Um, and, and and so, but in the same way, like I can't investigate my wife. I can't <laughs> pretend like she's like she's not a case to solve. You know what I mean? Like right. that's that that's rude. And um, mm. I think it's just disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not something that that uh, I've told my wife, like, you know, you're not just from my perspective, the way I try to view marriage, like she's not, she's not just a friend. Like she is a friend, but like, she's, like you got to hold your spouse in, in an elevated standpoint, mm-hmm. higher than yourself, because you got to serve, you have to serve your spouse. Right. And so, if I'm going to be an investigator and like, oh, you messed up like that, like, come on. Like, yeah, you know, like, but right. so I think that can be a huge detriment if you don't control yourself and, and you feel it. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you're so good military. at doing your job. You just, Oh, there's, right. there's military that's this way. And there's, mm-hmm. there's police that are this police. way. They're like, so for instance, one of my favorite examples is you were military, right? Did you use when you, when you would use um, time, Usually, military uses the twenty-four hour clock, right? They don't use a twelve-hour clock. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, like, uh, so a meeting in the military, you have a fourteen hundred. Two o'clock. Yeah. That means you have a meeting at two o'clock. No one else in the real world knows that. Really? So, like, (laughs) no. I mean, they do, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they they don't talk. Absolutely right. 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 Let's say you and you and Luke Jones, right? He's not gonna. He's not gonna say. Hey, we're meeting got at twenty eight, twenty three, you know, 0800 hours or whatnot. Yeah, we, we've got it. We've got an 0800 rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Like no one speaks like. Uh, that. for Luke, it's more like, well, we've got a seven, oh, six thirty. <laughs> I've got to be up super early on Sunday <laughs> right. morning. But you see what I'm saying? So, right, absolutely, absolutely. So, it's like trying trying to separate. Which is why I said earlier, you, there's an art to leaving it at the door. You can't turn it off. Yeah. Right. If you can't turn it off, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be problematic. Right. Right. Yeah, and like I would, I, you know, I would I would see officers that would come into the prosecutor's office, 
and well, there's two two things. They would come to the prosecutor's office. And be like, oh, I've got a I've got a fourteen hundred with, you know, this person. They're like, who? Mm-hmm. I would intentionally pick <laughs> them. Like, what? He's like, then okay. there's some, uh, and then right. he, he, it triggers, and they're like, oh, I've got a I've got a two o'clock meeting with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But the other problem is that really optics for a jury, like. Typical state trooper speak, they they call their cop car a commission. Uh, so they'll say, well, what did you do then, officer? Well, I exited my commission and I went to, <laughs> no, no. The jury is going to look at you like you're, okay, RoboCop. Like, <laughs> like this, so, right. no, you got out of your police car and you walked up to the person you pulled over. You didn't, you <laughs> right. know what I mean? So like. So if you can't shut it off, you're just going to be a pain to be around. Yeah. And that's probably the detriment. Um, but it also helps with um, just as far from an analytical standpoint, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe deciphering when you're being potentially taken advantage of. In in, yeah. pers- in your own personal life, right? or in like, danger like, so in any way, whether that be from a marketing standpoint, or true. someone's offering you a, a deal that's too good to be true, and you go, mm-hmm. "Ugh, that, that that doesn't feel right." Yeah, I need to look into that more, right? Whereas yeah. some people just go, "Oh yeah, you, I need to send three hundred dollars in Walmart gift cards to Dubai." Oh, sure. the gift <laughs> card, the gi- <laughs> Jay. I've sold sneakers before, right? Like, so this is familiar. That the gift card yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. As a retail yeah. person, you know, right, right now, gift card scams are for whatever reason so big, and people fall for it. The people that tend to fall for it most are old people, because they'll think, "Oh yeah, wow, they don't. They trust yeah. people. Yeah, they trust people. My dad trusts people. My dad got swindled for six oh. figures." Man, um, man, okay. And, um, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It yeah. Just is... To your, um, to your advantage though, what, um, do you, this may, this may sound like a weird kind of flipping back to the whole safety is an illusion that kind of, this is still kind of winding down, but, do you feel like people should try to arm themselves with a little more knowledge, whether that's self-defense oh. or learning self-defense or hey, yeah. if you're going to own a firearm, learn how to use it, the, you know? No, I think awareness of what's actually out there. Mm-hmm. Um, not this aloof Hollywood idea of, oh, somewhere, some far, some way far off in the city, there's there's been a robbery. Yeah. Like. Yeah, Go right down door. to your courthouse. Yeah. Courthouses are like courthouses. You can literally walk in them anytime you want during the day. Sit yeah. down and watch court. So, take a simple moment. And most of the time, mm-hmm. jury trials, if they're going to be longer, start on Monday. So, go down on Monday, pick a major felony court, go sit down and watch a trial. Mm. Or call the court staff and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to know, I, I'm, I'm interested in observing what goes on. Could you, you know, could you tell me when the next trial is going to be? And go see what it's really like. Go see, oh, and maybe not even that, go watch the docket where you see in a single morning, you see 17 people brought before the judge mm. on all this stuff and the devastation in people's lives that you see, you know, in the gallery, you see family members 
bawling their eyes out because and of you can watch all that tri- you can just go in and watch any anytime you want mm. why anytime why is want. that the case um but because i why why is that the case that you can go watch it yeah why why do they allow that but because in america it, it has to be a public trial oh court court systems in america are i mean it's public gotcha everything is public and so but i think it's valuable for people to potentially learn what's really Mm -hmm. out there right so maybe not self-defense because if you're not constantly practicing it you're not you know this from a military standpoint right like you know the adrenaline dump you know like um you know the things that happen so um you're not really prepared unless you're constantly working on it and even mm-hmm. then if you've never been in a real fight it's like mike tyson said everybody's got a plan until they get punched until the they face. get punched correct yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> right yeah, like yeah and so i don't know that but i think that people being aware of the reality of what's out there is something that would be very very humbling and mm-hmm. and eye-opening gotcha. um yeah yeah I could go on. This could be a five-hour podcast if I really wanted it to be. All right, folks, that's been the Crunchy Take Podcast. Uh, You can watch and uh, on YouTube. You can also stream on any platform of your choosing. Thanks for uh, listening to this week's episode and take care.